Okay, so Daniel, I hear you went to a Black Lives Matter protest today, right? Yeah, so it was actually really interesting. I was biking over to my grandma's house, and uh, I see all of these uh, supporters, Trump supporters, uh, waving their flags. I see them, you know, uh, showing support for their president, and you know, they were they were other cars were honking and everything. There were about fifty uh, protesters, and I mean, they were just expressing their love for Trump, but. I saw on the other side, uh, there were two Black Lives Matter protesters, and these two were uh, high schoolers, and uh, they were really, really into it, and there were some cars honking in support of them, but by far not many (laughs) in comparison to the 50 uh, Trump supporters, and uh, it it was really, really sad to see. Uh, I I managed to go up to the Trump supporters, and of course, (laughs) I just started questioning them. I started kind of (laughs) pressuring them, arguing with them. And uh, anytime I'd ask them for factual evidence, uh, they would ignore me. They'd be like, yes, yes, I have factual any, any evidence. Bi- any Bible citations? Any Bible citations? Uh, no, no Bible citations. Oh, what a surprise. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, the best well. part is, I'm telling you, the best part is when I would ask them, I'd be like, they'd be like, oh, uh, George Soros is conspiring with conspiring with QAnon. And I was like, give me like the facts i'm like can you give me facts and they're like uh no i was thinking i was thinking if the rnc hadn't been like had had stayed in charlotte we would have totally gone up there and pulled like a jordan clepper type thing yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh yeah i was thinking about that questions. yes i was thinking you know, i told him like i i told him i remember i was like you know your rally is so diverse and of course i said that super sarcastically but one guy, he looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, yes, it is. It is incredibly diverse. And I was like, oh, my. White. <laughs> Everyone is white. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Hey, yeah. y'all. Welcome yeah. back to another episode of the Blue South. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about Gen Z and Donald Trump. Uh, but first, here's the snapshot of recent news events this week. This week, a recording of Donald Trump was leaked with Bob Woodward in which he admitted playing down the pandemic as early as February. In this recording, he allegedly allegedly acknowledged the danger of the virus as well as its level, saying that it was more deadly than even your strenuous flu, adding, this is 5% versus 1%, or less than 1%. However, this is what he told the American people, and I quote, the percentage for the flu is under 1%, but this could also be under 1%, because many of the people that aren't sick don't report. Trump said on March. Trump said this on March seventh. Uh, despite knowing that the virus was airborne, he mocked mask wearing and held several large indoor rallies in which, obviously, no one wore masks. Not only this, but also back in March, he was quoted saying the virus was under control and that it would just disappear. Uh, moniker he held on to, I believe, until mid-April, perhaps even early May. Uh, of course, another false statement. <laughs> so, Daniel, what do you think of all of this? You know, uh, I mean, I I was telling this to all my friends who were Trump supporters, and their first uh, their first acknowledgement of this was, well, you know, he was trying not to incite fear in um, millions of Americans, but but what's sad is that he lied directly to your face. Like, is there anything lying... scarier than your president, the one you put in office, lying directly to your face? Because I think exactly not. and exactly, and he's been doing this since the beginning of his administration. He's just been straight up lying to our faces, and the fact that people seeing him lying and then they'd be like they find an excuse for his lies. Like they even when he directly lies, they find an excuse for his lies, which. 
even these excuses, because of these excuses, people have been very relaxed about the regulations because Trump has not been very serious about them. And at the beginning, that could have cost tens of thousands of lives. This could have saved so many more people had had he uh, taken serious control over everybody. Paul, you understand this, right? <laughs> of course. And it's just this sort of – that's honestly a pathetic excuse, like I said. But honestly, and I realize that in a lot of cases, coronavirus coming to the United States, simply existing here, was more or less unavoidable. And that alone we should not blame Trump for. But his, you know, and we've reiterated this in I think maybe four or five podcast episodes now, his blatant negligence a lot of times is what is to blame for the United States being in the position we are in now. Yeah, and not only are the uh, Trump supporters playing it down, but one of the most crazy parts about all of this is how much Fox News is playing all of this down, uh, citing how literally it was uh, way more uh, important to talk about Trump's Nobel Peace Prize nomination and pretty much completely ignoring the fact that Bob Woodward released these recordings. By the way, uh, Bob Woodward, previously he wrote the book Fear. Uh, it was one of the first books that heavily criticized Donald Trump, and I actually got a very, very interesting read. Highly, uh, highly, highly, you know, suggested. It's intriguing. Yes. And <laughs> Controversial just, as well. Just released the new book, Rage, which pretty much talks about all of this and uh, exposes him, which, of course, all Trump supporters are now done. But uh, speaking of the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, Trump was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, it, I'm pretty shocking but by a far-right Norwegian official uh, for his deal with the UAE and Israel. Uh, and we all know this is a huge ego boost for him. So he decided to advertise on his campaign, and you all can guess what happened next. Um, his campaign managed to spell Nobel wrong, and they had spelled it as noble. Yes, they, <laughs> they reversed the E and the L, and surprisingly, not a single campaign staffer knew, uh, you know, noticed this. They released the ad, and now they are heavily criticized. Once again, showing you <laughs> the competence of this administration. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, like we're seeing with a lot of Trump's former Trump officials and supporters defecting, he's he's running low on people to depend on. You could you, this was clearly evident with the RNC which the majority of the speakers were his family. And now with this, even his staff is completely incompetent simply because he has no one else to turn to because he has burned every single credible bridge in the book. <laughs> exactly. And I was even uh, at the Trump or at the, at the rally today, uh, as the rally kept on progressing, uh, those two high schoolers started calling in their friends. And there was actually a pretty sizable crowd of about 30 Black Lives Matter protesters uh, as the day was finishing up. And you were among the most, them, of course. Yes, of course, me among them. And I thought the, one of the most interesting things about this entire rally uh, was that all of these uh, kids were young high schoolers fighting for change and everyone else on the other side was a much older generation all of them were white and it i mean on on the one hand right it's really sad that we still have these people who have a very very preset minds and our generation that's coming up i'm pretty excited about this right i mean right. can you imagine what kind of 
uh, free-minded thinkers will have, like when exactly. we are 30 and what kind of presidents we'll have when we're 30. Uh, maybe <laughs> even we will have like institutionalized uh, like medicine. We will have government-sponsored health care. We can have education that's low cost to none. And we can introduce all these ideas that are right now being taken as Marxist because all of these people have been growing up in the Red Scare and those eras. So finally seeing uh, people that are willing to change and willing to think about everything else is really exciting. And I thought the best exactly. part about it, I thought the best part about it though, was the fact that we saw people that were non-white uh, protesting for black lives matter, which makes total sense because uh, it's, it's, you know, a minority, it's about all minority groups being equal. So I thought it was and, great to see it. Right. And what's very interesting about this is generally that area of Charlotte, you know, South Charlotte, the, the suburbs, it's a generally very conservative area. You don't see a lot of diversity. You see a lot of, you know, privileged, new money type thing. But I think the fact that there was still such a sizable crowd of especially youths who haven't necessarily taken after the same ideals as their parents, you know, that's just a really beautiful thing to see. And the framework behind all of this, and now it's time to get into our main topic of the day, how influential is Gen Z on this election? So, in the grand scheme of things, young people could wield significant political power. Millennials and some members of Gen Z comprise 37% of eligible voters, roughly the same share of the electorate that baby boomers and pre-boomers make up, according to census data analyzed by the Brookings Institution. But for decades, youth voters have showed up to the polls in concerningly low rates. Unlike the millennials who came of age during the Great Recession, this new generation was in line to um, you know, inherit a strong economy, low unemployment, a lot of this due to Obama's policies and Trump in some, to some extent carrying these out. But unfortunately, of course, this has all changed now as COVID-19 has reshaped the country in general and we are heading for a recession, if not already in one. I'm not sure if we are officially in a recession or not now. Instead of looking ahead into a world of opportunity like we were about six months ago, we now peer into an uncertain future. Yeah, of course. And if I may add, I think one of the reasons why uh, in the past few years we've been seeing youth voters uh, show up, not show up to the polls at lower rates, because uh, we definitely had candidates like Bernie Sanders, who was super appealing to the younger generation, and he won a lot of their hearts. And I think one of the reasons why we did not have Hillary Clinton lose because those exact same youth voters did not show up to the polls uh, because, you know, they were only backing people like Bernie. And hopefully that will change this time around because uh, they have the Democratic Party now has a new strategy and it's all about getting everyone unified to vote. So I think th we'll see a different turnaround of the polls this year, 100%. But there are actually already signs that uh, the oldest Gen Zers have been particularly hard hit in the early weeks and months of the coronavirus. Um, in March of 2020, the Pew Research Center survey, half of the oldest Gen Zers, so it's about 18 years to tw uh, 23 years, reported that they or someone in their household had lost a job or taken a cut in pay because of the outbreak. Break. This is significantly higher than the share of millennials, 40% uh, uh, Gen Xers, 36, and baby boomers, 25 percent who said the same in addition in an analysis of job data showed that the young workers were particularly vulnerable to job loss before the coronavirus outbreak as they were overrepresented in high risk service sector industries i definitely think they definitely have been hard hit in fact um, my brother for instance he's been 
pretty hard hit, but not necessarily uh, because of the, not necessarily because I would say the coronavirus vaccine, but for instance, he was working uh, for a political campaign. And after he finished working for them, uh, you know, there were reasons due to the coronavirus why the campaign ended. And, and that, I guess, it pretty much caused him to be pretty hard hit. He now lives with us and he is, you know, he's, he's chilling, <laughs> but he's found some work. He's found independent work and he gets to do all the same stuff that he did now from home. But yes, exactly. if he didn't have us as a, like an anchor, um, he would be really, really hard hit because he most likely would not have a place to live. So I think yeah. that's probably the biggest part thing. Right. And what's interesting about that, what we see here is um, aside from this unique set of circumstances, uh, and like before we were looking at the history of Gen Z not showing up to the polls, Trump, look at how Trump's presidency provides further insight into the cumul- cumulative beliefs of Gen Z. Pew Research Center conducted a survey back in at the beginning of this year found that about a quarter of registered voters ages 18 to 23, um, 22% to be exact, approved of how Donald Trump is handling his job. While, get this, over 70% of Gen Z voters disapproved. Millennial voters were only slightly more likely to approve of Trump, 32. Gen X, 42. Baby Boomers, 48. And 57% of the silent generation approved. Now, when you look at this in the grand scheme of things, Gen Z is the new generation. And as you can see here, just simply based on this data alone, the younger the generation, the more liberal they are. And exactly, yeah. if this cycle continues, I'm not saying conservatism is going to die out in America because that's obviously false. But we may see a shift in both the positions of the DNC, you know, in the position of the DNC as a whole. Because, you know, more people who identify as Democrats now have views that more closely align with those of leftists, for example. And overall, the DNC moving left is both exciting for us, but also concerning. Yeah, polarization. Like I said, like I said, like I said, uh no matter how liberal the generation, uh, new generations get, there is always going to be conservatism is always going to exist in America. And while with this, the emergence of the Gen Z overwhelmingly voting in favor of abolishing the two party system might not make it as big of a deal as in DNC, the the establishment Democrats aren't going to be entirely dominant. We're seeing a rise in the Socialist Party and the Green Party, Libertarian Party, that sort of thing. (laughs) Still a shock decline. Oh, the Constitution Party. Yes. The clowns. Uh, Pardon me. And um, still, (laughs) a decline in conservatism, like I said, like you just said, could lead to polarization. And I think a big factor in Gen Z Z being more liberal, they're also more likely to have college-educated parents than previous generations. In 2019, 44% of Gen Zers ages 7 to 17 were living with a parent who had a bachelor's degree or more education compared with 33% of millennials and, of course, smaller percentages before that. Both of these trends oh, pardon me, reflect the overall trend towards more Americans pursuing higher education. And this is also more likely, perhaps due to their own educational endeavors, they're less likely to work than previous generations when they were teens and adults. Only 18% of Gen Z teens ages 15 to 17 were employed in 2018. 
compared to higher percentages in other uh, previous generations. And a lot of what we're seeing here, a lot of the education we're seeing here being put into action. Daniel, if you want to talk about the climate change. Yeah, but not only climate change. Actually, I want to kind of add on to what you were saying beforehand. Uh, I thought it was really interesting what you were talking about with uh, educated voters versus non-educated voters. And uh, actually, according to exit polls, 61% of non-college educated white voters cast their ballots for Republicans, while just 45% of college educated white voters did so. So you're definitely right. We're seeing the 16% gap that completely changes once you get a college degree. So I think it's really interesting. Meanwhile, 53% of college-educated white voters cast their votes for Democrats compared with 37% of those without a degree. So we're seeing that more people with college degrees are voting blue. So I think it's really, really interesting to see that, you know, college education may have, they, well, it has, seems like it has a pretty big impact on the party and the different understandings that you have. Yes, exactly. And also, we see Gen Z Republicans. And like I said, we're also seeing, I, well, I alluded to, I wasn't entirely sure, but confirmed by this now. We also see the Republican ideals not necessarily shift left, but become more progressive on a social scale. Uh, Gen Z Republicans are far more likely to say that, that for, than Republicans in older generations that blacks are treated less fairly. You see Gen Z, 43% of Republicans or right-leaning people say that blacks are treated less fairly. Jump to 30% when you get to millennials and it only gets worse from there the further down you go. And of course, you know, Democrats who are hovering in the 80s there. And also in terms of increase in being more progressive socially, about half of Gen Z millenni and millennials say that same-sex marriage is good for society. And about 35% each say it doesn't make a difference. Only 15% each are you know, openly homophobic. And in terms of the LGBTQ community, Gen Zers are more likely to know someone using gender-neutral pronouns and more likely to say forms should offer gender options other than man and woman. That's uh, 59% here compared to, you know, we go all the way down to boomers. That's like 12 <laughs> of course all, yeah, of, all, all of these stats all of these stats are from the pew research center all of the stats we're seeing here are from the pew research center yeah very reliable yeah re very reliable by the way exactly yeah i think and, that's yeah it's very interesting mm -hmm. and in the grand scheme of things you know uh, uh this is good for america just generally increased social progressive progressivism yeah yeah well that that pretty much wraps it up, to be completely honest. I mean, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that concludes today's show. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed. And remember to check us out on Instagram, where we post updates and breaking news daily. I am Paul. And I'm Daniel. And this has been The Blue South. The Blue South is made possible by David Vandelay, who created our theme. And also by the graphic designer who rebranded our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Gustavinsky8. And of course, special thanks to all of our listeners and Instagram followers. You are what keeps the Blue South going.